This is the Commercial Appeal. Like Mark, uh, just came back with the same rhythm that he's been playing with. He's good. <laughs> he's our MVP. To me, he's the best center in the NBA. You know, I'm obviously a little biased, but I think he's the best in the league. And uh, the thing that I continue to be most proud of is his growth as a leader. Uh, he continues to take steps forward that way. This is the Grizzlies podcast with Grizzlies beat reporter Ron Tillery, columnist Jeff Hawkins, and pick and pop columnist Chris Harrington. Well, that, of course, was Grizzlies head coach David Fisdale talking about Marcus Saul, and we'll talk a lot about Marcus Saul. In this version of the Grizzlies podcast, I am Ron Tillery, the only beat writer to Memphis Grizzlies have ever known, alongside Chris Harrington, our pick-and-pop columnist. Uh, Jeff Calkins is getting a rest day. Uh, maintenance. We want to make sure he can talk. He's got to be ready for the back-to-back. There you go. Uh, <laughs> so, a lot to get into. And we'll, we'll talk about the, the idea of resting players as well. Uh, uh, but the Grizzlies enjoyed a... Uh, rather successful last several days, uh, going two and one over a stretch in which they played the NBA's last two finalists, including a back-to-back with the NBA champion Cleveland Cavaliers, or at least one version of them. <laughs> I think I don't know what you thought, Ron. I thought that Cavs team. I mean, they're the defending champions. They're the best team in the Eastern Conference um, by far. I think. When you take all, take out their top three players, that team gets really bad in a hurry. And not just in a way that every other team does when you take out their top three players. Mm-hmm. I almost think if you took the entire NBA and took the three best players off of every roster, they, w- they would go from being one of the best teams in the league to one of the worst teams. Oh, I mean, yeah. James Jones, Birdman Anderson, Kay Felder, just a, I mean, that, that was rough last night. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was a glorified pickup game. <laughs> and, uh, and it was rough. The Cavs couldn't even score. Like, I mean, a lot yeah. of bad shots, um, no flow. So, yeah, it, it was rough. And, and But, you know, nobody's making apologies for wins. Uh, right. The Grizzlies will take them however they can get them. I mean, last year you, you took their top two players off the Grizzlies, Mike Conley and Marcus Hall, and look how bad they were. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it happens. Um, but let, let's start here um, because, um, you know, there's so much to get into. But it just struck me that within the context of that game – how how quickly and confidently Fisdale looked to turn to Tony Douglas. Right. And Fisdale is the third straight coach who has a, uh, uh, who puts a lot of stock and value in a veteran point guard. Yep. Lionel Hollins did it. Dave Yeager did it after him. And you saw Fisdale go away from Andrew Harrison really quickly in that second half because the game was getting away from him. And he put all his veterans out there. And they go on the run and put the game away. Um, what do you make, Chris, of, of, of Douglas, his impact? Uh, I mean, obviously he's not going to be able to stay forever because right. he's the 16th guy on an NBA hardship exception. So that's that's temporary. Well, I mean, I think clearly he's the best option, you know, on average. It may change game to game, but on mm-hmm. average he's the best option they have right now and probably the most reliable. I do think it's easy to have a little bit of recency bias and fixate on the game he had last night, which is by far the best he's had with the Grizzlies. Mm-hmm. He's only really been good twice. It was the game the game against Portland where he and Troy Daniels made the big plays down the stretch to help seal that game. And then last mm-hmm. night it was very good. 
He's been not so hot in the other games. I mean, I think he's still shooting under 40% um, as a Grizzly. It's more by comparison to the two rookies who are struggling right. immensely. Mm-hmm. Um, Baldwin's struggling across the board when he's played, and, and Harrison's really struggling to score. He's been pretty good defensively, but right. really struggling, like really struggling to score. And so, you know, I think for if you're trying to win the game in front of you with what you have, which obviously is what David Fizzell's trying to do, Tony Douglas is sort of your best option. Mm-hmm. In the bigger picture – it's more complicated, like you suggest. Um, given the way the roster's set up, I don't see a way that they're going to keep Tony Douglas once guys start coming back. Right, and and that's what the hardship uh, exemption right. is for. It's, it's to take care of a team that has at least four players out at least three straight games and out at least a couple weeks. I guess the one question, and I, I haven't looked into this, I don't know if you have yet or not, but you know, Deontay Davis is hurt now. Right. And so is there a way in the rules to sort of shift – one player back and another player out and, and somehow keep keep that hardship exception going. Yeah, it's my understanding that, you know, the, the criteria is just that simple. Uh, four players out, at least three straight games, and, the, and you can prove that they're going to be out for a, a couple weeks or so. I'm thinking, and this is just a guess because I haven't talked right. to anybody, if you want to manipulate it. Bring James Ennis back and have Don, Deontay Davis be go, your fourth right. guy. But right. Deontay just missed his first game. He has game, to miss two more. So he has to miss two more, which would be through the weekend, Friday, Sunday. And then you come back Tuesday with Ennis. So now you got Davis joining Brandon Wright, Mike Conley, and I guess Chandler Parsons. And that buys you more time. If, you, if, if you're trying to keep Tony Douglas as long as you can until right. Mike Conley comes back, right. which I do think they would like to do, Maybe that helps you do that. I think the question is going forward, even after after you get Conley back, unless you make some kind of trade, once Conley comes back, you you have to, you're going back to Harrison Baldwin as your backup point guard. Oh, situation. absolutely, absolutely, yeah. And I think one of the things um, to put a cap on this subject is you know Fisdale just hates being unorganized, right? And so you know with Harrison, it wasn't not it wasn't just not making shots. It was like he wasn't getting them into anything. And so when Douglas comes in, I think the pressure's off a little bit because the ball immediately started going through Mark again. And right. you know, they they just got more organized and he's just a mistake-free guy. I suspect I'm going to be one of the like the, the people on the island on this particular topic, but I'll throw it out there anyway. Mm-hmm. Do you think Baldwin relative to Harrison should be getting more minutes? Um no, because I just I can't find anything to grab onto that that suggests that he gets it here, here, in any area right. of his game. Well, here's what I would say: Andrew Harrison overall has been a better player than Wade Baldwin this season. I mean, I'm not, I would not argue that he's been a better player. He hasn't been that much. They've both been bad, frankly. Harrison has an entire season of professional basketball. Played the whole, whole year in Iowa last year. He's played more than 700 minutes this season. Baldwin's only played like 200 and something minutes. So at some point. You're going to be bad before you get good, and you don't get good without playing time, without opportunity. And so, you know, given that the gap between Harrison and Baldwin is fairly small, I think right now, given despite the vast difference in sort in terms of the minutes they've gotten and the experience they've had, I just think I just think at some point you have to go through your lumps of Baldwin if you're ever going to get to where he's going to be. Well, I mean, that does speak to what Fisdale said during camp. I'm going to fast track this. Yes, kid. and then then he pulled back from that when the, when the right. kid struggled. But but here's the thing: I, I I think Fisdale and his staff and Wade are just in an incredibly difficult position. Wade ideally should be playing in Iowa. That would that but, would be better. I but, would rather but, him play 30 minutes in Iowa than three minutes in garbage time in Memphis. Right. But you know, it's it's next to impossible with all of the injuries. So you got to have the body on the roster. Right. Fisdale 
you know, this is just me. He's probably thinking, okay, I got to go along with this maintenance program. You're going to tell me when guys can play, how long they can play. I'm not conceding everything. Right. I have to have to have some tools to be able to be able to compete and try to win games. Right. And so uh, Harrison gives them the best chance in that regard. They've been and, winning on defense, and he, yeah. he has been a positive contributor yeah. for the most part. To that. And then and then okay, give me a veteran point guard, right. so so I can have something to work with. You know, so I, I, that's how I look at it. But ideally, you know, Wade would would be in the D League, right? Yeah. And so that does bring us to the uh, the idea of rest. It was a big deal with LeBron and Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love not coming to Memphis, but Mark didn't go to Cleveland, and it just seems to be a thing around the league uh, where teams are resting players. We blame the schedule. We can blame sports science, you know, whatever. Everybody has their own view about it. What say you? Um, I think I'm sort of a moderate on this issue in that I think there is – there's a lot of evidence to suggest that teams should be more careful than they were in the past about mm-hmm. about in terms of the, the the workload they put on their players and in terms of the rest their players get. Um, at the same time, I think it's a problem for the NBA because at the end of the day, you have to real, realize the whole reason this whole thing exists, and that is to provide entertainment to people who give you their money via via tickets and via league pass purchases and via their cable subscriptions. And they're paying to see the best players, and it's one thing if the players are hurt, nothing you can do about that. But when someone you know, someone spends a lot of money to buy a ticket to to the Cleveland game, the only time they come to town, and LeBron just doesn't play for rest reasons, I think fans have a have a legitimate reason to sort of be upset about that. And so I think the league needs to to find ways to address that. I don't think it can come in the form of dictating when organizations can't can or can't play their players i don't think the league can get into that the way david stern tried to once upon a time yeah um i do think they need to tackle it from a schedule perspective i think the more you can reduce the back-to-backs and the four games and five nights the more you reduce the incentive to to, to sit players out of games yeah and so i think the league should be moving to do that it sounds like in the new collective bargaining agreement they're at least going to Start the season a week earlier and, and build another week of cushion into the schedule, and that'll reduce some of the some of some of that. But I think I think they're going to continue to need to look at that going forward. On the rest thing, like I get the sort of the old school, like that's not how we did it back in the day. Mm-hmm. We were talking about this before we started the podcast. There was an article this week that was built around the LeBron James game in Memphis, and the big hammer quote in the end was Kevin McHale complaining about players resting. You know, we you know we never did. I never rested. And the point I sort of made to you before is that, yeah, you never rested, but you played a whole season on a hurt foot and you retired after 13 years and you were hobbling around the last two. Larry Bird retired after 13 years. LeBron James is in year 14. I think the way that players are managed now, not just in terms of rest, but in terms of all the whole variety of medical stuff, that the training stuff that's around that's around the league is helping, is helping lengthen careers. And I think that's a good thing. Yeah, except for I think what's another good thing is all of the technology, the the uh, medical advancements, uh, everything that is to a player's advantage health-wise that the McHales and the older players didn't have. So for that reason, I just I can't wrap my mind around resting healthy players at the expense of, of the fan. Well, part and, of it is, is trying to keep them healthy, and that doesn't right. just mean trying to avoid an injury. And there's been some – obviously injuries can happen any time. We've seen that. Mm-hmm. But there's been evidence. Tom Haberstroh did an article for ESPN this fall about the whole issue, and 
and there, and one of the studies done showed that there, there's an increase in, in injuries on back to backs, an increase even beyond that on back to backs that are on the road, and like like there's statistical evidence that injuries are greater in those situations. Yeah. I think beyond that, it's also trying to have trying to get to the playoffs with your players in the best position to be effective in the playoffs. And we've seen this issue with Mike Conley for years now. Like I know he broke the face; that was a freak injury. But even when that happened, he was already dealing with three or four other injuries with the right. foot and with the wrist and all this other stuff. We've seen a situation where we've entered the playoffs every year with him not being at his peak. And you're trying to, you're, A, you have to do what you need to do to get there, which is one issue. But you're trying to have the players at peak condition when when you get there. And I, I think the rest helps contribute to that. Yeah, I just, um, I'm not going to crap on sports science. I mean, you know, I know it's a tool just like analytics is and and all that good stuff. Um, but you know, and we should make it clear: these aren't players saying I need a day off. Oh no, no, these, these, are, organizational these are organizational decisions, decisions and, and oftentimes the player is not happy, and that's because players play. Right. If we go back to the old days, you know, they used to play three games in a row, three nights in a row, and they weren't on charter flights. They they busted, they trained it, they 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 took commercial flights, they 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 stayed in places you know far less desirable than the, the hotels that right. these people stay in. They didn't have massage therapists and 50 million people on on training staff traveling with them. So again, these guys have a lot more advantages and they and they're more highly trained. In fact, Hubie Brown once said, former Grizzly coach, he felt like players overtrained and that contributed to injuries. Right. Um so and here's a guy that bridges the old all the way to the modern day right. uh, basketball. So, I mean, I think there are ways you can accomplish rest Without it being at the expense of the fan. I mean, like, Marcus Gasol was told Sunday night that he wasn't going to play in Cleveland on Tuesday. He practiced on Monday. Well, why, why did he practice? He could have set out a practice and go to Cleveland. And even if his minutes were limited, had an opportunity to play and help the Grizzlies try to win that game. And then if it gets out of hand, maybe it's, it ends up being 18 or 20-minute night. I don't know. But <clears throat> I, I just think at the end of the day, healthy players ought to play. Here's one thing I'll say about this from a Grizzlies perspective, though. Marcus All, he's going to turn 32 this season. He's he's a seven foot, two hundred and whatever pound center. He's he broke his foot this calendar year. He broke his foot, right? Mm-hmm. He is only he's only DNP'd two games, two games total, and his his minutes per game are basically the same as they were last year, and more than they were the two years before that. Mm-hmm. It's not like they're it's not like there's this enormous amount of rest and, and minutes management that's actually happening with Marcus All. Yeah, I, I I think it's happened less than we've talked about it. Maybe. Yeah. No, I just think I think it's we we're talking about it around the league and the media right. and amongst fans just because it just it's not just the Spurs anymore. You know, it, oh, now, right. now it's everybody saying this is what we need to do and. And, uh, you know, it's hard to embrace something new and different change, you know. And um, But, yeah, I mean, it just, I don't know, it rubs me the wrong way. Right. I, I, you know, certainly rub Mark the wrong way. But what yeah. do you expect a player to say, you know, except for, you know, I want to play. Uh, but I, I just, again, my main theme would be figure out ways to do it without it being at the expense of fans. Yeah, no, and I mean, I agree with you on that. I, th- I yeah. think this is something the league should take seriously in terms of the quality of their product. Yeah, yeah because, because like, and, and Fisdale's not the first coach to say, well, I don't think organizations are worried about the fans. They're worried about giving themselves the best chance to win a title. Well, perhaps that line of thinking is because it's not the fan ticket that increased uh, right. uh, the salary cap. 
You know, they're getting... It's a TV deal. It's a TV deal. But if you have, you, but if you have enough national TV games where you've booked the Cavs and LeBron's not playing that night, right. that becomes an issue. That's true. And um, so, yeah, but so it can't just be like, well, we're not thinking about the fans, you know, don't tell me what the fans think, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then this idea that because somebody plays longer, um, that they'll have this better chance of winning a title. I mean, we're talking about the Spurs always putting together a high-level organization on the floor. Right. Um, and then back to your point about Mikhail, he always played on Hall of Fame teams. And so I don't think he would trade playing 13 years for those championships to get five more years. And so, I mean, he had a great career. Vince Carter is in his 19th season. Right. Hasn't come close. But he can say he played 19 years. Okay. Well, I mean, because- and then, and then oh, he's not exactly helping a team win a championship. Although but, he's played well this year. But who's who's to say that Kevin McHale managing his, his wear and tear a little bit better would have precluded the Celtics winning those titles? Well, I mean, it's, but they, they won them. Right. And he contributed greatly to them. I, I guess my point about him would be I don't think the fact that he hobbled around for the last two years, uh, you know, is takes away from that, from that, from 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 doing what he accomplished. Right. You know, I don't know. I, I don't think we're going to agree on the whole rest thing. I don't think anybody necessarily right. agrees on it. Everybody sees it their own way. Uh, I just think fundamentally, if you're healthy, you should play. All right. We agree to disagree just a little bit on that. <laughs> okay. I, I, I think you're, the big picture is trying to stay healthy. Yeah. But I mean, speaking of staying healthy, I, one thing I want to ask you was what I wrote about this week in the Pick and Pop. Before the season started, you know, Marcus all, we all talked, you know, Conley got this huge contract and Chandler Parsons was the big signing. And I think we all agreed that, like, the biggest question for the Grizzlies is Marcus all coming off this injury. Is he going to be able to get back to what he was before the injury? And I think we were hopeful that maybe he could or he could get close to what he was before the injury. I think he's been better. Oh, yeah. And, and, I, don't and think, I don't think anyone saw that coming. Right, because we looked at the injury. We looked at his age. Right. We looked at him, his size and said, oh, it's it's going to be well, a hard players, road back. Even if you take out the injury, players at you know on the verge of age 32 don't suddenly change their game in a significant positive way the way he has this season in terms of his shooting, the three-point shooting in particular. And just, you know, you look at his usage rate, but just the sheer burden he's taken on offensively, he's become, you know, that sort of offensive alpha dog in a way that he had, he's been sort of reluctant to be in the past. Right. He's definitely embraced that because, you know, he always talk about, oh, we got to play the right way. And, you know, I can go out and shoot all the time, but that's not playing. Now he's like, okay, I need to do this so that my team will have a chance you to You shoot it all the time. It's not selfish. It is for <laughs> so, the good of the team. team. Right. I mean, yeah. I, I think, do we have to give, great, give Fisdale credit for, like, turn, turning the corner on oh, that? Oh, yeah. Demanding yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and see, Mark has always been highly skilled, as you well know. I, I think this is all also a credit to um, what a good job the doctors obviously did. Like, yeah. for example, microfracture surgery used to be really dicey. Now it's not a thing anymore because right. of the advancement. So we talked about that particular injury, the the fracture in his foot, but they're dealing with it a whole lot better today than they are right. th- th- they were back in the day. So when you hear Mark say, you know, my foot's not sore, um, you know, it was, 
it doesn't hurt. You know, I mean, like he is he is feeling as good as as he's ever felt, and he's in great shape because he's and he's looking to your point a lot more mobile out there. And what particularly impresses me is that not only has he taken like a, a leap, like almost an evolutionary little leap in his offense in terms of the way he plays and the volume of of what he's doing. I think he's gotten better defensively. Not better than he's ever been, but better than he was last season. And again, I just go back to the mobility. I mean, yeah. he, he's been playing on, on a bad foot for all intents and purposes over the last couple of years or right. since the Defensive Player of the Year award. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, he's now he's just spry. He's just feeling so much better. And so I think he, I think, I think he's a maybe, I haven't made a list, but he might be a top 10 player right now in terms of, not in terms of stat line, because there are guys putting crazy stat lines up. Like Damian Lillard has Lillard probably has a better looking stat line. But in terms of everything you're doing on both ends of the floor across 48 minutes to win basketball games, I yeah. think he's having just a massive impact right now. Yeah, and I think it's also just a, a testament to the continuing evolution of him as a player because you know it, it took time to uh, kind of get out of Zach's shadow. Right now, the team is younger, so you know there's no time for play the right way. He'll look and see Harrison or anybody standing over to his left, wide open. And now his mindset is like a lot of stars. This contested shot, yes. for me, is better than the open shot for him. <laughs> and so, and that's how that's how stars think. That That's an important thing. And it goes back to you mentioned Hubie Brown earlier. One of the Hubie Brown, you know, axioms was you had no when to pass, no when to shoot, right? Right. And that is not, that is not the same for every player. I mean, this whole, like, you know, the, the open, you know, the, the go-to man's the open man. It's the old Josh Pastner thing, right? Right. There's an element of truth to that in that a lot of times the open shot is better than the contested shot, even if the even if the open shot is a lesser lesser player than the contested shot. But there's a limit to that, and you have to you have to recognize in the course of the game what that means. And the open Andrew Harrison shot is probably not as good as the contested Marcus All shot, and you have to be willing to make that calculation and, and he, recognize that. And, and that's a great point because last night Harrison didn't understand that, right? And he just kept missing. And it's like, dude, there's a reason you're open. <laughs> you yeah. got to keep moving the ball or go make a play for somebody else. And so what happens? He gets taken out of the game, and now everything starts flowing through Mark. I think that's one of the things that Fisdale adjusted to early in the season. You know, it sounded good that they were taking all these threes, but the offense was too equal opportunity. Right. He tightened the reins. It, it coincides with, you know, them getting better defensively after that Milwaukee game. Right. But it was it was too equal opportunity. And that's how Jaeger started, quite frankly. Yeah. You know, I mean, ball movement and player movement, all that's great. But it's got to be in the right hands at the right time. No, it's it's got to be. This has got to be the. We'll see whatever. If Chandler Parsons ever gets healthy, that may change things. But it's the Mike Conley, Marcus All team yeah. when those guys are, are are healthy. And now with Zach coming off the bench, it's get him a lot of touches, a lot of shots when he's on the floor coming yeah. off the bench. And like over forty eight minutes, if you're running most of your stuff through those players. Mm-hmm. And you're playing good defense at the same time. What do you know? You got a really good basketball team. Yeah, yeah, they, they're they're taking shape. But I think what I, what else I like about this team, even though they're all banged up and and um, uh, inexperienced uh, on the back half of the of the roster, right? Is uh, Fisdale has been able to accomplish not having to change the way they play based on who's on the floor. Yeah, they play. You know, we keep saying grizzly basketball, but it's more than just slapping a grit and grind label on it. They, they play the same way offensively. They play the same way defensively. They have the same mindset no matter who's on the floor. And I think that's gone a long way toward uh, them kind of uh, treading water uh, or 
doing a little bit, bit, bit better than that uh, during the stretch. What do you think? I, I, I sort of want worry that um, as well as they played record-wise without Conley, that maybe the expectations are a little too high for these next few weeks before he comes back. They're 7-2 and two mm-hmm. without Mike Conley. You look at the schedule coming up, Sacramento, Utah, Boston, Detroit, Houston, Orlando, Boston, OKC. Like, probably without Conley. I still feel like even though they've been 7-2 and two retroactively without Conley, if you go 500 in that, I mean, I think you're doing fine. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because, you know, they let's let's be real about it. They won some games. They had no business winning. Yeah. I mean, it's like Fizz almost willed them to, and Tony uh, to yeah. games. They were down double digits with five minutes. Scratching out wins against lottery oh, yeah. games. And so it's the NBA. that tends to balance itself out. I mean, you're not going to get those every time in every situation. But with that cushion they've built, if they just go 500 without Conley, or even a little worse than 500 until he gets back, yeah, they're not in a position to just make the playoffs like we were talking about when Conley got hurt. Right. They're still in a position to compete for a top-four seed. Yeah, I think they've been fortunate, but they've, they've made their own luck. you know. And and a big part of that is, has been Mark, as we've talked about. And uh, uh, Tony's finally, I don't know if he's first team, uh, but he's finally – kind of rounded into shape. He is impacting games in that sort of Tony Allen agent of chaos kind of way. Right. I don't know if his if his pure on-ball defense is what it was at his peak. Right. But his ability to just will plays, you know, whether it's whether it's these little post-up plays or the offensive rebounds or the steals or just just to impact the game with his energy in crucial crucial parts of the game. We've definitely seen that. Oh yeah, and even though um he was a little shaky last night against Cleveland, when J.R. Smith got a little frisky with his shot early on. Oh yeah. yeah. But when J.R. Smith, you know, got a little hot and and they got that game the two, you know, Tony shut the water off. Right. As they made their uh, the Grizzlies made their big run and that was a part of it. You know, getting getting J.R. in, uh, in under control. So yeah. No, I mean, it, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, how much we uh, we've been throwing Fizz's name out there, but how much credit do you give him? Uh, it's a weird what's going it's on a here. little bit of a weird thing because they've had all this coaching turnover mm-hmm. and a lot of the traits that are making them good now are traits that have carried over through multiple coaches sure and when when you have this tendency and I wrote about this a little bit this week they have been a top 10 team in the NBA in terms of cl- in terms of clutch performance for like five six years straight oh yeah they've exceeded their point differential in terms of the record for like five or six years straight. And when that happens consistently through multiple coaches, then you can't give all the credit to the coach, right? Right. right. Um, and they've been, other than last season where they fell off, they've been a top-notch defense through three coaches. So so I think the bulk of the credit for a lot of that stuff has to go to Marcus All, Mike Conley, Tony Allen, Zach Randolph, right? right? That's the continuity. But but at the same time, part of, part of what's different this season is, that is effective is almost entirely attributed to David Fisdale. Like you've mentioned earlier, it's David Fisdale who unlocked the Marcus All shooting and unlocked the Marcus All taking on more of a burden offensively. Right. Like made him th- the only captain and said, "Listen, you know, <laughs> you've got a lead." That Marcus All three point shot could have been there last year and the year before, and it would have been helpful in some of these some of those playoff series. Right. But David Fisdale unlocked it, and he's played more more minutes. For, for rookies and second-year players, partly b- by necessity, right. than, than this team has done since before they were in the playoffs. So you'd, you'd have to go back to the Shames to beat Damari Carroll, Sam Young year for another season where rookies got as many minutes. Mm-hmm. For him to, to to play those minutes and still win these games, so I, I think I think it's dual credit. I mean, obviously, a lot of what, what makes this team good has made this team good for years. But I, that doesn't take away from what I think has been one of the better coaching jobs in the league this season. Oh, no question. And I was just stunned to wake up one day and see the Grizzlies uh, 
tops in the league in defensive efficiency. Yeah. I mean, with the with the, with oh, the actual talent they have on the floor. I thought early in the season, I thought, well, they, this will be a good defense, but, you know, like a top 10 defense. They're not going to be elite anymore. And if they're not going to be elite, that offense has got to get better to make up for what they're not. And then you look up and what do you know? They're yeah. right back there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you mentioned past coaches, and, and we'll end on this note. Dave Yeager comes into town for the first time as head coach of the Sacramento Kings. Uh, very rare that a coach gets fired with a year left on his contract, or I don't know if it was a mutual parting. certainly seems that way since he had a job waiting on him. Right. But uh, I don't know. I, I was asking the players this. Uh, you know, everybody seems to be very complimentary of Dave. He's, he, anybody who's ever worked with him says he's a good X's and O's coach. Uh, I'm not so sure he was a good manager, but um, but he certainly he certainly held down the fort when he was here. I don't think it's an insult to Dave Yeager to say, l- looking at what has happened since, the Grizzlies in no way regret the decision they made yeah. to make the coaching change. Yeah. I think they're very happy with the change they made. And that that is more of a compliment to David Fizdale than it is an insult to Dave Yeager, but it, that's, just, that's just it. It doesn't mean Dave Yeager's not a good coach or didn't do a good job, right. but I think the organization is, 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 is quite pleased with the decision they made, and that decision could very well have gone the other way. They could have made a bad hire like they did with Mark Averroni once that's upon true. a time, and it could have been a bad decision. They, they rolled the dice, and, and, and they came up good with it. I think you know. I think Dave Yeager is a really good coach. You know, all coaches you could nitpick things here and there. I certainly could yeah. uh, could with Dave. I think he's landed in a situation in Sacramento, which good for him in terms of the contract he got. But that's a it's been a tough situation for coaches for ten years right. now, and they've gone through lots of good head coaches who have struggled there. And he's he's just another one in line, and it's the front office, and it's the roster, and it's everything else, and there's only so much you can do there right now. It's funny how that mirrors uh, Lionel's departure. Right. He, landed, went, he went into a bad, got a good contract in a bad situation, too. Job. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Dave, you know, I, I think it's interesting, because I totally agree with you about the organization being thrilled yeah. at how things worked out, and part of the reason for that is, you know, while they didn't um, um, kind of blast Dave publicly, you know, uh, on a professional or a personal level, like they did kind of with Lionel. Right. Um, they're very unhappy with his unwillingness to work with management. Oh, yeah. And so that that's kind of one of the the understated angles to all of this. I mean, and so now you got a guy who is truly all in with the organization, not just, you know, pretending to be like it seemed to be the case. When, you remember when they were talking about lock and step and oh, right, right, and right. All, whatever they were saying about the harmony, <laughs> you know, once Dave was hired. But in the last year or so or two, it wasn't like that. Well, I mean, you just look at like the one thing we talked about that has a coaching fingerprints on it, which is Marcus all adopting, you know, the three point shot. Mm-hmm. That's not like an idea that didn't exist until until this this fall, and like mm-hmm. David Fistel came in and thought of it. There are people in the organization who've been wanting that to happen for a couple of years. Yeah. And it just could not get that idea to filter down to the coaching staff and yeah. to to make it happen. And so I think there are some things in terms of in terms of in terms of you know not only Marcus All but Jamichael Green and others and getting more creative and more progressive with using front court players in that way, and then getting more minutes to young players and trying to speed up the development. That's all stuff that the front office was wanting, and was and you know was I think was upset they weren't getting with Jaeger. And you look yeah. at Jamichael Green. Michael Green got buried behind Ryan Hollins last year, had right? Had no use for him. Had yes. no use for Ennis. Wanted yes, Ennis that's, out a, here. that's a great point. Yeah. James Ennis and Michael Green both were buried behind Ryan Hollins last year mm-hmm. in a way that I don't think the front office wanted. I don't think the front office was happy about that. Yeah. And you turn around this season, 
and they're both for a lot of the season have been productive starters for the Grizzlies. Yeah. Now I I think it's fascinating that the core four is on his third coach. Yeah. And that it took Para since to, to 2013 to finally get the cohesive, you know, I don't know what else you want to call it, organization. Yeah. That, that he was, well, well, uh, the, you know, the, these extensions for all three of the front office guys, yeah. and now this new coach with a long term contract, and yeah. it finally seems like they, they they went through this cycle of sort of disruption, and mm-hmm. hopefully, you know, knock on wood or whatever, now it's all gotten sort of settled the way yeah. they want it. Settled. I think that's a that's a good way to put it. All right. Well, that'll settle it for this edition of the Grizzlies podcast, and um, we will talk to you next time, real soon. For the latest news and analysis, follow the Commercial Appeal on Twitter at Memphis News. This is the Commercial Appeal.